The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at TNTradio.live. This is a place for crazy people. Natalie Cheel and Rick Mudd. Thank you, listen. TNT. Okay, let's get it done. It's Wednesday, the 3rd of January, 2023. This is TNT, today's news talk. And whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're doing and whatever you're doing, of course, we hope it's nice. You're extremely welcome to Open Line Show here today. I'm going to be joined by Natalie Cooper. Uh, Natalie Cooper? No, let me stop there. Let me rewind. I'm going to be joined by Natalie Cheel and Gemma Cooper. And let me just say a plethora a plethora of guests for your enjoyment and amusement. We're going to be talking about absolutely everything under the sun. And lest I forget to do so, just a reminder, this is Open Line. What does that mean? Some of you might be wondering. Well, it means we have an, uh, a facility, let's just say, for all you lovely people to call us if you feel so led to do so. Uh, towards the end of the show, in the last 10 minutes or, show, or so, our phone lines will be open and you are free to give us a call. You can find our telephone numbers from the UK, from Europe, and also from America on our website, tntradio.live. So if you're feeling motivated or you feel uh, led to give us a call before the end of the show here at, uh, at TNT Radio, then please feel free to do that. And we'll be reminding you of that uh, throughout the course of the show. Now, just to get the ball rolling, this one uh, I think will interest uh, you, Natalie. In Washington, DC, at a metro station on a cold January morning in 2007, a man with a violin played six Bach pieces for approximately 45 minutes. During that time, around about 2,000 people passed him by. However, after his 45 minutes, only six people had actually stopped to listen to him and gave him a total of $32 in coins. Okay, he stopped playing. There was complete silence. There was no round of applause. People just kept passing on by, but unknown to them, the musician was a chap called Joshua Bell, one of the greatest musicians in the world. He was playing one of the most intricate pieces of classical music ever written on a Stradivarius violin worth approximately $3.5 million. And just two days earlier than when he was busking on the street, Okay, he sold out a theater in Boston where the seats averaged $100 each to sit and listen to him playing the exact same piece of music. This is a true story. So this raises questions, and I think you'll like this from a psychological perspective, Natalie. Do we stop to appreciate the finer, more beautiful things in life? Uh, do we live at a fast pace in everyday world where we simply can pass by things that would benefit us mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually? If we don't have a moment to stop and listen to one of the best musicians in the world playing some of the finest music ever written on the most beautiful instrument ever made. How many other things are we missing out as we bustle our way through life? And it's been a manic start to 2024 already for everybody, I think. Imagine what we've missed just in the last two days because of the hustle and bustle of everyday life. What say ye, Natalie Chill? Uh, people uh, kind of 
make up their own views because it was somebody just playing on the street and they viewed him as homeless they didn't want to listen uh, so it's not necessarily that people uh, don't pick up the small joys it's that they've got these you know stereotypes these views that that because he was sat there and he was homeless they didn't even want to pay him any attention mm -hmm. so uh, maybe that says another story too and maybe we need to open our eyes a little wider and and uh, change some of our perspectives and become a bit more open-minded as well rick mm, that's a very good point as well you know is it is it because the packaging wasn't good he wasn't in that yeah. fancy theater in boston somebody hadn't got dressed up in a tuxedo yeah. they hadn't paid a hundred dollars for a ticket and then they were sitting there with other people dressed the same way who had shelled exactly. out the same amount of money all sitting clapping like seals when in reality a lot of those people may just have passed this guy by on the subway the next morning and not even stop to throw a dollar into his little cap imagine that 32 dollars natalie after playing the world's best classical music pieces for 45 minutes on the well, best violin in the world and and 32 bucks he made 32 yeah. miserable dollars and isn't, isn't that the point that uh, people would still, uh, they need to uh, have that validation approval now and put that picture on social media and tell people they've gone to see him and uh, get dressed up. Uh, uh, don't want to listen to a homeless person. That's not the same. I can't take the picture of that and put it on social media, right? No, we can't. But uh, we'll pause. I will get Jem's uh, input in this because I think she would have some good insights in this one as well before we get their main uh, breaking editorial news story. So please stay tuned. This is today's News Talk TNT. Keeping the commitment 24-7. I come to you for facts. I really appreciate what you and your team do. Today's News Talk Radio TNT. Well, Gemma, what do you reckon? Do you ever stop and appreciate uh, buskers? I know there's a hell of a lot of amazing musicians, some of the best musicians I've ever heard. Uh, I've heard them playing on the streets of Belfast uh, in alleyways or sitting uh, quietly while the world passes them by. Uh, do we need uh, do we need the packaging to appreciate some of the products or is that part of the conditioning of today's world? What do you reckon? Well, on a personal note, I have been known to down my bag and dance to buskers. I've done mm. it in London. I've done it in the West Country. I've done it in the Caribbean to the most amazing steel band that were busking on the side of the street. But I'm very confident person. I don't know if that's come across at all in our engaging conversations, but I'm very confident. And also, I love dancing. So if I'm hearing a piece of good music on live on the streets, I will. I've done it. I've done it in Oh, in London, I've done it in loads and loads of places. I've done it in Piccadilly. I've done it in Oxford Street. And and surprisingly enough, when one person has the courage to just get up mm -hmm. and go, God, this is brilliant. Suddenly loads of other people who were itching to do it but didn't quite have the confidence, they come and join you. Um, so I, I appreciate music wherever I find it. But I think Natalie's point on this story You've nailed it in one, Natalie. And interestingly, you know, they're about to make a Hollywood movie. Well, they've, they're filming it here in the UK um, uh, of the salt path of the couple that lost everything and became homeless. A middle class couple lost their farmhouse in Wales and decided to go for a walk. And the walk was the southwest coastal path. Now they're making a film of the book because it's so inspirational. But in the book, they say that they would encounter people on the coastal path. This nice middle aged couple, you know, on the surface looked very normal. And initially they would tell people, oh, you know, we, 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 we're not working at the moment and we, we're just walking the path. And when they said that to people, people were like, oh, what a brilliant thing to do. Just sell up and do it. We wish we had your confidence. We wish we had the guts to live our dreams. And then they started telling people halfway through, they thought, no, we're not going to lie. They started telling people they were homeless. They lost their house. They lost their business. They had no money. People didn't want to talk to them. Mm -hmm. Whereas before mm -hmm. it was absolutely fine. And it's all to do with money. 
your 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 currency in life status. is money. Yeah, your status. Status. I, status and money. You know, you tell people you got a million pounds in the bank, somehow that makes you a good person. It confers values on you. So where these values come from, God only knows, you know. You might be the most awful person ever, but you having a million pounds in the bank somehow gives you a value. Yeah. literally a, a, a social value so yeah that story rick i think natalie just you you nailed it now it's it's about packaging it's about money it's about yeah. being associated with other people with money um as that story from the from the salt path illustrates and it'd be interesting to see how they uh, incorporate that into the movie as well people's reactions yeah. when they realize they, they've got no money and they were homeless because it's become such an inspirational book about homelessness and about value and about society well, unbeknownst, unbeknownst to me, uh, I didn't know that it was going to be talking about that story. And I didn't know uh, what you were going to be bringing as a news editorial this morning. But talking about money and status and perception and prestige, etc. And the strap line for this one reads, uh, the NHS fat cats pocketing up to 300 grand a year while running floundering trusts as the longest doctor strike in history begins so we're talking about fat cats these people that are sitting at the top uh creaming off everything there is to cream off and i know one thing we we're not short about is uh corruption stories people profiting yeah. off of the back of miseries and disasters what's the what's this one here now about the nhs what latest scandal is there here to rock the nhs well, this story has come out today. It's the result of an investigation. And the figures are actually very, very shocking in this breaking story is that, yep, you're quite right. The longest strike in the NHS's history, the junior doctor strike, has begun here in the UK this morning. They're walking out for six days. Uh, there was already 38 days of industrial action amongst doctors of all levels and nurses last year over paying conditions. Uh, they've managed to come to a resolution with some, but the junior doctors are out in force today. Um, and unsurprisingly, the, the knock-on effects are, are going to be considerable. They're estimating that for just six days of industrial action, it will lead to 170,000 uh, postponed operations and referrals and cancellations. Um, and it will add to the already beleaguered waiting times, which were just beginning to come down. Now, the strike is overpaying conditions. Uh, the doctors, along with the British Medical Association, want a 35% increase in pay. That's a significant jump. And the reason this, is, this story is so shocking, they want this pay rise. And they work hard, doctors. They do. They do. Whatever your opinion of the NHS, they do work long hours. The junior doctors work these grueling, horrible, inhumane shifts, which I think are designed to, to destroy them and destroy part of their humanity. That's a different story. The bosses of 11 of the trusts that are floundering and have some of the longest waiting times, the longest referrals of up to a year for people with chronic conditions. Some of these bosses of these NHS trusts are on more than the prime minister significantly more in some cases. These figures out today show that some NHS bosses are on 300,000 or pushing that, and some are on some are on quarter of a million pushing towards 300,000. And on top of that, some of them have pocketed pay bonuses of up to 30,000 pounds. Well, that's more than the average wage here in the UK. The average wage is about 28,000, and that's just in bonuses. So these figures are absolutely shocking. Now we talk a lot about corporate greed, corporate values, corporate profits that put profits before people. This isn't corporate. This is public money. And ironically, if this was in the corporate sector and you had somebody being paid £300,000 a year and bonuses and they were failing on that level, they would be out. If we were operating on that level here at TNT and we were being paid that much and we weren't performing, we would rightly be out. These are public sector bosses pocketing that money, junior doctors still striking, junior doctors walking out on the biggest week of the year it's the busiest week of the year and they're walking out today to get this pay increase whether they'll get it i don't know but you could start with 
firing some of these bosses and distributing some of that wealth down to the lower levels of doctors at the NHS. Now, the, the, this uh, the, this story here highlights, you know, the spread of the the, the, the doc, so-called doctors in the NHS. You've got your junior doctors, you know, just out of med school, have been thrown into any departments that run ragged. Then you've got the fat cats at the top. You've got consultants that went on strike for a time last year. And then, of course, somewhere in the middle, you have the old GP. And I think what the trade-off is for all those years of uh, being abused as a junior doctor, you get yourself a nice cushy number as a GP on about 80 to 90 grand a year basic salary, which of course you could top up substantially over the last two to three years by jabbing people at 15 pounds a pop, while all the while they're crying uh, poverty and asking for an extra 35% pay increase. Do you think that's sticking the arm in just a little bit or do you think they're justified in what they want? Yeah, I mean, you can look at it two ways. Like, like Gemma said, like, I mean, the junior doctors do work extremely mm -hmm. hard. Um, and, uh, you know, it, they're doing a lot of training as well, even to get to that stage. Mm -hmm. But for me, it is still an insult because, you know, if the whole of the country, like we are a cost of living crisis, everyone is struggling, mass amounts of unemployed, you know, they still have a job. They chose that job to go into. Uh, they knew how difficult it was going to be. And and other people are really, really struggling at the moment. And they chose um, and they all agreed the NHS to close and lock down for so long. So it's an insult to the patients when their waiting list is so long and then they're going to go on strike. And basically the, the industry they've gone in to help and care for people. Oh, don't worry about that. We'll just we'll just make it even worse for you. You know, yeah. that to me is just not right at the moment. And then to add insult to injury, not only are the juniors doctors striking, then their health chiefs are earning £300,000. It like epitomizes society in the worst possible way. And who are the people that suffer? Us. Just the, yeah. the people at the bottom, the, 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 the slaves. On, yeah. And, you know, uh, it, it just makes me angry in general. But I do at least see where the junior doctors are coming from. But it doesn't make it right either. No, it doesn't just because it feels good doesn't make it right. As the old saying goes, I think that was Cheryl Crow. Uh, maybe the uh, maybe those junior doctors should take a leaf out of her book. Gemma, we've got to uh, put a pause in this one as per now, but we shall reconvene in another uh, 40 minutes or so on Locked and Loaded. Many thanks as always for the input here this morning. Nat and I will be back after this short break with guests galore. So please don't go away. This is TNT, today's news talk. TNT Radio's Joe Hoff. Just uh, terrible terrible situation there and Biden was behind it pushing these arms pushing billions of dollars over there we don't know where that money went I'll bet you money I'll bet you a huge percent uh, went I bet you more than 50 percent didn't go to the uh, to the people or to the war uh, it went to people's pockets kind of like what we have in in uh, Palestine uh, with the U.S. since since well under Biden uh, Trump shut this down thank God but under Biden Obama they started sending billions over to uh, that part of the world these people are have been after Israel forever and, and uh, supported by Iran and billions of dollars going their way and uh, to help them not, uh, you know, basically uh, create chaos in the Middle East, terrorism, and, and we saw what happened earlier this year, about a month ago, uh, the two-one attack in Israel and the death and destruction, rape and kidnapping, more than 240 people kidnapped. Joe Hoft on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. When you can point me to an industry, to a platform, that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually nine out of 10 Americans. That's real, that's substantive, that's important. 
and that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement. It's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. <laughs> My baby's back from the West Coast. <laughs> Hear those pictures that you asked for for your school project? First day of school, cute as a button. <laughs> so long ago. Oh, here's Grandma Florence after that flood wiped out the whole neighborhood. Sometimes I just cannot believe all the storms we've gone through here. I can only hope that we'll be able to leave this house to you one day, baby. You're our legacy. Planning for these disasters will make sure we're safe. And it's the best way to protect that legacy. Ah, those <laughs> beans smell heavenly. Mm -hmm. Give Mom a little credit. You know what? We should make an emergency communication plan. That way we're ready this year. Oh, great idea. At my dorm, we have emergency kits for earthquakes and wildfires, but I'm sure there's something more local I can send you with the link. Okay. Smart. I'm coming to share with you guys. Protect your legacy. Plan for natural disasters today. Visit ready.gov forward slash plan. The net zero con will leave millions of citizens dependent on state handouts. It isn't a theory. It's an agenda. There is no climate emergency. On air 24-7. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome to the show, Tom Rogers. He's a history teacher and founder of the station Teachers Talk Radio. If you want to learn more, you can go to X at Rogers History. And uh, he's here to talk about the hall in Ofsted inspections following the death of Ruth Perry. The new chief inspector, Sir Martin Oliver, vows a fresh start, apparently. Uh, more training and more empathetic inspections moving forward. Tom, uh, what have you found has been your experience of previous uh, Ofsted inspections that you've had? Well, I've only I've only ever been inspected once by Ofsted. So into, on a personal level, uh, my experience is, is probably very limited compared to yeah. other people. Um, yeah. uh, my parents were Ofsted a lot. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I think I think people's experience of Ofsted is very stressful. Uh, Ofsted inspections, I think um, there's a huge amount of a pressure and stress leading up to the inspection itself during the inspection and after the inspection i just think the whole thing is a very very distress it can be a very very distressing and taxing experience yeah i've got friends who are teachers and literally their word brings up dread they're like oh Stead's here like my whole week's gone or weeks it's it's, it's like it's like a, a word of dread and i don't know if you've heard that yourself um uh, like you said you run uh, you run a radio uh, for teachers is that the kind of general consensus like uh, as soon as it's said well yeah to an extent i mean if you look at sort of the surveys that have been carried out by all the main union unions in the uk um, Ofsted pressure always comes in the top three when it comes to why teachers leave, why school leaders leave. Um, I think 40,000 teachers left the profession in the UK last year. Um, that trend looks like it's going to continue. And I think Ofsted pressure usually comes third or second um, behind like workload. And workload is often generated by Ofsted. Um, so, you know, I, I, it's a huge issue, a huge issue across the profession. Uh, and that would be reflected, yes, in, in Teachers Talk Radio listeners as well, in, in what they tell us as well. You know, not, not just the union surveys, but across, you know, across the profession. 
Yeah, I'm actually in the local community. So uh, uh, Ruth Perry um, uh, is uh, from where I'm from in uh, uh, Reading, Caversham. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So it's uh, you know it's a it's a story that hits home uh, for me because she's so well respected here, a known head teacher. She was there for 13 years. It's hit the local community very hard. Do you think uh, it should have taken a death of a head teacher for these to ever been looked at uh, the Ofsted inspections? I mean, obviously not, you know, I mean, uh, it's been 10, 15 years now of, of sort of people trying to instigate reform um, of Ofsted. Um, the the instant of Ruth, uh, you know, what happened with Ruth Perry um, was, was a disaster and a tragedy. Um, and I guess the, the, you know, the hope is that, moving forward there is now going to be substantial change there's a new chief inspector martin oliver you would hope that top of the agenda needs to be removing the one word judgments the one word gradings because that is at the heart of the issues it's at the heart of the issue with with ruth perry it's at the heart of the issue of what's driving the workload and the stress and the and the and the ridiculous nature of it um, you know, if I was to sort of say to you two guys after this call, do you know what? I, I rated that inadequate um, as an interview. Um, you know, you, you probably wouldn't like it or appreciate it, especially from someone who you don't know and who has turned up for a, you know, 0.01% of your um, output. Um, and, you know, I've turned up for 0.0.1% of what you do. And then I've left and told you you're inadequate. But not only that, I've literally left and I've left you to pick up the pieces of that um, with your bosses. So that's that's essentially sort of where it is. And, and that's what the new inspector, chief inspector, Martin Oliver, really needs to address is the one word gradings. That's minimum. Um, there are people who want to abolish Ofsted, but I think minimum the gradings need to go. Yeah. Rick, would you be happy if you suddenly got told by your boss inadequate today? Well, I've been told by my boss a few times, not this boss that I have at the minute that have been inadequate in the past. And let me just say it's not particularly pleasant. No. Uh, but the thing is, uh, Tom, whenever Natalie and I covered this story about Ruth, who unfortunately lost her life as she took her own life as a result of this, it also shows you the clout uh, that these people have indirectly. I mean, if, if a grading on a school that she has invested so much time and effort uh, of her life into to make it as best as she possibly can for them to come out, and it could have been a bad day for the graders or they could have been a particularly nasty person they're giving the grade this one word that you talk about it's not just a case of it can affect the you know the the amount of kids that are going to be going to that school but it could literally cause somebody to spiral into uh depression or possibly a suicide that definitely i mean the impact the impact of an inadequate grade or or, or even a requires improvement grade a, a drop if you like in any grade even if you're graded outstanding and you drop to good even that, it, it can have sort of catastrophic consequences. But um, within the community, you know, um, parents, other teachers, it, it almost is a self-fulfilling prophecy because it makes people less likely to go to the school, which then makes it harder to get funding and then makes it harder to improve the school from the inside. Um, reputational damage can be huge. And that's not even just talking on the personal level of the leaders in the school. You know, it's almost like a blight on their copybook. You know, it's almost like um, people people know, you know, you're, you, were you were graded inadequate. Um, and, and then sort of it, it 
puts a blot on the copybook, which is often often unfair, you know, because the reliability in the judgments is it's just it, it's bonkers. You know, I mean, uh, yeah. I was going to say, I mean, I know particularly about the Ruth Perry story. Uh, Cavisham Primary School uh, was considered basically one of the best primary schools in the whole uh, whole of Reading. Ten years outstanding. So it went from outstanding to inadequate for one particular incident, which they considered a safeguarding issue. And because it was safeguarding, it had to go to inadequate. So, you know, it the whole... <laughs> you know the whole system you know it, it, it almost said because of this one incident everything else had to be overlooked it's it's a system that needs a massive overhaul as we've said isn't it yeah i mean and a lot of these schools like Cavisham, um hadn't been inspected for 10 years yeah. you know there are schools out there who haven't been inspected for a long long time um and the previous time they will have been inspected was over a couple of days so if you imagine like how what 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 is that you know is that is that fair scrutiny is that fair accountability or is that just like coming in and, and like i just gave the example to you guys before of sort of just telling you you're, you're rubbish in the in such a small segment of what you, you are and what you do you know it's yeah it's not right and who's uh, who's Rick inspecting the inspectors? That's the other problem. It's all very well that they're inspecting the schools, but but nobody's inspecting the inspectors. It would seem for a long time. Ofsted have said they're going to tighten up their appeals process, but I think everybody in the profession will believe that when they see it. Um, to see an ability, I mean, schools have successfully challenged Ofsted. You know, in the last year, there was a school in Cambridge, a primary school, that managed to challenge a judgment and actually get it changed. Um, get the actual grading changed. But that was a long, drawn-out process yeah. involving legality. Not every school can do that or will want to do that. Um, so, yeah, every school deserves, um, you know, respect. Every school deserves an opportunity, a fair opportunity, to be representative of what they actually are uh, on the day-to-day. -day. And Ofsted, in its current form, definitely doesn't do yeah. that. It sounds to me a longer process rather than a couple of days would be a start, you know, because to give a better reflection as well. Um, yeah, but yeah, possibly, possibly. I just think the whole thing is flawed um, from, yes. from top to bottom. The, the, the whole thing just needs, it's almost like you need to scrap it and then start again and actually yes. just start from, from scratch in terms of how it would, how things might work in terms of accountability. Um, yeah. Anything to add, Rick, before we have to say goodbye to Tom, unfortunately? No, it's just that it's nice, uh, Tom, to get your perspective on this, because this is a story that's been very close to Natalie's heart. Uh, we've covered it on and off for about the last six months or so. So it's yeah. nice to get uh, the, the, the lowdown on, on how Ofsted are actually working uh, whenever it comes to these gradings and, and how detrimental it can actually be. So just many thanks for your input on that one this morning, Tom. No problem, Rick. Thanks, Natalie. No worries. Yeah. That's great. And uh, don't go away, guys. Uh, more at today's News Talk Radio after the headlines. Now, now, now. news. Big news. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. The world is bracing for an escalation in the Middle East after Hamas's deputy political leader and senior military commander was assassinated, killed in an apparent Israeli drone strike in Lebanon. A commercial airliner carrying nearly 400 passengers has burst into flames after colliding with a second aircraft at one of the world's busiest airports in Tokyo. And drowning in allegations of academic theft, disgraced Harvard University president Claudine Gay has quit. 
on air, and on the app. I listen on the app. Stay up to date around the clock. I listen, therefore I know. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Yeah, this is today's News Talk TNT, and we are coming at you live. It is Wednesday, the 3rd of January, 2024, and very happy this morning to be joined for the first time here on Open Line by Jasmine Bertels. Jasmine is a personal finance expert, also a TV and radio presenter, and an author of not one, not two, but 38 books. So very happy uh, to be joined by her here this morning. We're going to talk a little bit about finance and uh, money in uh, 2024 in the UK. Uh, good morning and welcome to the show, Jasmine. Hello there. Hi. Hi it's nice, nice to see you. Uh, there's a story here that's actually been highlighted. I want to get your input on it because uh, it's a reflection, I think, of the way things are going in general for our economy here in the UK. It's to do with uh, three, 30,000 UK businesses are expected to go insolvent uh, within 2024, according to PwC PricewaterhouseCoopers here in the UK. Uh, that's an awful lot of businesses going to the wall. And with those businesses going to the wall, those could be long-established family businesses. And of course, they have a lot of employees, probably have a lot of suppliers. It's not just the business itself that gets impacted mm -hmm. about this. There's ripples that spread right throughout uh, the financial pool. Uh, what do you think about that forecast for 2024, Jasmine? Is it accurate or uh, are they over egging the pudding or are they lowballing it? What do you think about those figures? Well, it's it's a good point. I mean, I, I have certainly been expecting um, quite a lot of closures. Um, my, my concern, frankly, over the last uh, few years um, has been the potential for recession because our government, and like other governments, and they tend to just copy each other as far as I can see, um, has been absolutely obsessed with inflation, the bringing inflation down. Uh, the only tool that the Bank of England, our central bank has to do that, um, it thinks at least, is to increase interest rates. And while you increase interest rates, that might, might, you know, bring down inflation. I, I personally think that there are other things that need to be done. Um, but anyway, you know, it might do. But what it most definitely does is makes it harder for businesses to keep going. It makes it harder for businesses to start even because it means that it's more expensive to borrow money. And of course, it's more expensive for consumers to, to borrow money and then spend, etc. So, this this obsession with bringing down inflation, I think, has been very dangerous because it has potentially pushed us into recession, which, remember, Europe already is in, Germany in particular. They've been in recession for well most of the last year. Um, so it's a very real threat, I think. Yeah, it is. And this is also part of this report, uh, Jasmine as well mentions, uh, talking about zombie businesses. And basically, mm. those, those are de defined by uh, Barrett Kupelian, the chief economist at PwC, said there's likely to be a lot of zombie businesses, namely those that have been riding the wave of low interest rates for a long period of time that are likely to face difficulties as interest rates have been going up over the last year or so as well. So could we actually see it's a bit like a, a, a sort of like a ripple effect that, you know, that what happened over the last three years, especially with the lockdowns, really hammered a lot of businesses, especially mm -hmm. in the hospitality trade. Uh, that affected whole communities. Then the interest rates have started to go up. So not just mortgage uh, borrowers who've been enjoying low rates are now really starting to feel the pinch, but also small businesses now that have maybe been enjoying those low rates are also finding, hey, we need to find more money every month. We're going to have to put our prices up, which can in effect knock, on, uh, knock their business down even further. 
Well, true. I mean, you mentioned zombie businesses. Now, you know, on, on having said, um, and I do mean this, that that um, high interest rates are very bad for business, bad for the economy, etc. Um, I, you know, we are talking about zombie businesses. Now, essentially, these are businesses that shouldn't really exist. They, as you say, they've been riding the wave of very low interest rates. Um, there's been a whole slew of um, tech startups, particularly fintech startups in the last few years that have, have managed to start and keep going and pay themselves enormous salaries because there's been incredibly cheap money literally just thrown at them by, by VC companies, um, venture capital companies. So, you know, for them, they don't they don't deserve to exist. You know, as far as I'm going, you know, it's it's cruel but but fair. I think that 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 we're getting you know one good thing about higher interest rates is that you, you get a bit more of a sense of reality. So yeah. these, as you say, zombie businesses that should not have existed, should not have continued, certainly should not have been paying them the extraordinary extraordinary salaries that they have been. Um, they shouldn't exist, um, and it's, so it's it's a bit of a clearing of the ways, which is which is really good. Um, but then uh, on the other hand, as you mentioned, high street businesses, for example, they have been absolutely hammered. And I'm personally very concerned about the high street, have been for years, together with a lot of people, of course, because that more and more in this country, we, we go to online shopping um, and it's it's a vicious cycle. Um, people don't go into uh, the, the main shops. So after a while, the main shops, which are having to pay heating, lighting, business rates, etc., they just fold. So you get even in, in posh areas. I mean, I, I've been recently along um, Oxford Street, which is supposed to be the flagship shopping street in this, this country. Mm-hmm. It's actively depressing because every other shop is either closed or it's a sort of tourist tat shop or it's one of those awful American sweet shops, which are fronts for goodness knows what. Um, you know, and uh, it, the, the problem is that the rot, as when you see the rot set in, you know, it's it's like, um, it's, it's like with, with residential property, when you have a street that's mostly run down houses, that means that people, good people don't want to come in and buy the one house that's still nice. And so the whole thing falls apart. Yeah. So it's really important that we do something to to lift up our high streets so that it it creates a, a, a virtuous circle, not a, a, a spiral down. Death spiral, yeah, financial uh, death spiral. Natalie, yeah, I was <clears> going <throat> to ask you because uh, we've talked a lot about the places that we lived in. Jasmine's just mentioned Oxford Street. Uh, you've documented widely uh, the decline in Reading, especially some of the major yeah, uh, shopping areas in Reading. You know, uh, it's not just limited to the big uh, the big thoroughfares in London. You know, it's hitting everywhere. Uh, Reading everywhere. is no exception. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. uh, I mean it, it's terrible here. And I was just going to say, um, you know, every time I go into Reading, there's a new there's a new shop that, that that's closed down, boarded up. Um, you know, what's this going to mean for the average person that's listening in? Are we looking forward to? I say looking forward to or not looking forward to? Um, you know, maybe a house market crash or even you know a full recession coming up, or or is uh, can we uh, be a bit calmer for a while? Yeah, I'd like to say we can be a bit calmer for a while. Um, I mean, you know, always, always, it's 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 a, a good idea not to panic. It's a good idea to um, to look for for the good because there is a lot of good and a lot of a lot of possibilities. I mean, um, I, I definitely think that um, house prices are coming down, but frankly, they needed to. Um, I think we've needed a house price crash for some years now. 
House prices have been artificially held up by governments, um, which are generally full of people who have property portfolios themselves. So, you know, they want to do that. Also, it tends to be a vote winner. Um, but we need, I consider we need a, a significant property crash to help first time buyers. And I speak as one who owns my own property, you know, so uh, I'm speaking against myself here. Um, but it, it's just a very, um, it, it's unhealthy <clears throat> for an economy to have property, residential property, as unaffordable as it is, insanely unaffordable in some places. I live in central London, you know, where, where prices still are off the scale, even though they are softening, as, as the estate agent says, softening market, you know, um, they are softening here. Um, but they need to go down a long way, long way, even for people, young people working in the city to, to afford. It's, it's an absolute nonsense. I have no doubt, Jasmine, that uh, as this year progresses, that this correction in house prices, not that it, 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 it might happen, but I think it has to happen for reasons that you've just outlined there. And I think that it's long overdue. And maybe uh, as the year progresses, uh, we can talk with you again about some of the issues that have been even highlighted here today. Uh, but obviously, mm -hmm. uh, we don't have time to get into those just right now. But I think they're looming on the horizon. And all being well, uh, if it's OK with you, it would be nice to talk to you again about these issues as and when they actually arise. And I just want to say a big uh, thanks to you this morning for joining us. That's Jasmine Bertelson. You can connect with her uh, on the X platform Jasmine. at Jasmine. And fair play to you for securing that handle. I don't know how you managed <laughs> to do it, but she's just at Jasmine on X. And also she has a website if you want to check that out, Jasmine Bertels, B I R T L E S. Dot com. So thanks again uh, to you, Jasmine. Uh, we have to take a short break right now, and then we shall be back with uh, Stan Robinson from The Voice of Wales, here exclusively live on today's News Talk TNT. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Well, Happy New Year, everyone, and my compadre... Mark Morano, who I absolutely love watching and listening to with his views on climate, has come up with his top four climate hypocrites. Number four, King Charles. Now, every time I see this guy talk, I'm thinking about Monty Python and the upper class twit of the year skit. Watch it and you'll see what I'm talking about. In any case, number three is the COP28 Climate Summit itself. Now, I think Mark could have done better than that. He could have given it to someone. For instance, why not Al Gore? All right. But he assigned the entire Climate Summit. I mean, it's, it's his game, so he can take his ball and do what he wants. I would have given Al Gore the nod. <laughs> number two is Bill Gates. And the number one climate hypocrite you know him you love him or hate him that's right the man who threw away the medals and yet somehow shows up with them all the time none other than john kerry so congratulations if that's what you want to call it to all you climate hypocrites out there and mark another great job this is tnt climate and weather watchdog meteorologist joe bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather it's the only weather you got i said could she die? And the doctor said she could. It was so scary. When I started clawing at my neck and trying to breathe and I thought, you know, what are we going to do if I die here? <laughs> How's everyone going to go on? When someone's gravely sick or injured in the bush, they rely on the Royal Flying Doctor Service. 
But now the Flying Doctor needs your help to fund vital medical equipment and supplies. Please search Flying Doctor online to give a regular gift of just $10. You can help equip the Flying Doctor's teams to respond to any emergency anywhere. Search Flying Doctor online. Become a part of the Royal Flying Doctor service and help save lives in the bush. The conversation continues with Rick Munn and Natalie Cheel on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome back to TNT. Don't forget our online chat. It's live and, uh, and engaging and entertaining. I haven't had a chance to even check it today, but you can also call in at the end of the show uh, after we've spoken to Stan Robinson from The Voice of Wales. Uh, they are a bunch of journalists and commentators. Uh, their Twitter bio reads, the only opposition in Wales. He's here to discuss the new possible Labour leader as Mark Drakeford is stepping down in March and a new Welsh leader is expected to be elected before Easter. And uh, two of uh, the hopefuls, Jeremy Mark Vile, Jeremy Miles even, and Vaughan Gethin, well, they're both coming out and saying that they want to try and review the 20 mile an hour speed limit. Well, that sounds like a good thing. Do we actually think, Stan, there may be a possibility of a U-turn here? It's, it's like part of the sitcom of Yes Minister, isn't it? There's going to be a review. And then after the election, uh, they they'll pull it again. The the point is that there's been a war on on motorists for years in Wales, and this is just this is just one of a, a series of nails in the coffin for Labour and Plaid Cymru. Uh, Effing Geffin and also Jeremy Miles were instrumental in bringing this bill forward under COVID, so we didn't really have any uh, public consultation. The the uh, experimental base up in north wales 93 percent of the people said no uh, to it and they pushed forward anyway and so whatever they do uh, i i think that labor and plaid's days in wales are numbered yeah and do you think this 20 mile an hour speed limit was part of the reason or a factor for mark drakeford actually resigning because there was so much pushback uh from everyone in wales hasn't uh, hasn't there been do you think that's a reason that in the end he had to go I, I actually think it was it was starmer in westminster that told him that there's going to be an election this year and that you've got to resign because we need to overturn the 20 mile per hour uh uh, thing, I'll call it a thing, because that's what that's what uh, um, is driving everybody nuts here. Uh, and there's no there's no telling that they might bring it back in another form after the election. Yeah, and I was got I was going to ask even uh, if I don't know much about either of them, but whoever gets in, do you actually think there'll be a big improvement from Drakeford? Uh, and who do you think or expect to win this election, this Labour election coming up? Um, well, it, it certainly won't be the people of Wales. Uh, both of them, it's like, you know, one's a communist and one's an ardent Marxist. So which one do you want to pick? You know, it, it's choose your poison, uh, arsenic or strychnine. Uh, the, the issue is that, that, that they have collective responsibility, uh, getting... Um, was instrumental in bringing the hardest uh, lockdown under COVID that you imaginable. Um, it, in fact, it was on a par with New Zealand. 
uh, and we came out of it worse. Um, they've spent 300 odd million pounds on this 20 mile an hour debacle to save what they say could be resulting four lives. We have hundreds of people in this country commit suicide each year. And that 350 odd million could have gone in to alleviate the suicide amongst young people in this country. Um, so that's getting Jeremy Miles is the same. He's a failed minister as well. Uh, and he's backed by uh, Lee Waters who pushed the 20 mile an hour stuff. In fact, only a couple of weeks ago, Lee Waters uh, said that 20 is plenty and he was bragging about it. And now he's got his nose wedged up uh, Jeremy's backside. Uh, and so that those two are inextricably linked, pardon the pun. Yeah, mm. it sounds to me, Rick, listening to Stan, that it's a, a bunch of lies pre-election. And as soon as someone gets in, it's all going to change again, isn't it? And the policies will change. It, it sounds like it's Stan. And, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but was it not a real slap in the face to the Welsh electorate when uh, a petition uh, was got together to uh, speak against this 20 miles per hour speed limit? And I believe more people actually signed the petition that they wanted rid of that mad limit the more people signed that than actually voted for drakeford in the last election and when that was brought to him at the senate uh he was asked would he be taking this into consideration he just stood up said no and set his uh pasty white ass back down again uh almost snubbing the entire welsh electorate is that the kind of disdain that the welsh labor party actually has for its voters that's exactly right and and just to go slightly off off a key uh at with the COVID inquiry, when bereaved families in Wales asked for a COVID inquiry, he turned round, Drakeford turned round and said, that's over and done with now, it's time to move on. So that's the kind of heartless, gutless, communist state that we live in in Wales. It needs to be got rid of. And in this election, it, it, when it comes in 2026, uh, the Senate election, they will be got rid of. Because it's not just it's not just the 20 miles per hour. They're thinking of bringing in toll roads uh, on the on the cross the seven crossing bridges. They're thinking of bringing in the uh, toll roads on the A470 and A roads in in Wales. Drivers must pay through the nose in order to have a car, and so it's just not one nail. It's a whole series of nails that's going into Labour and Plaid's coffin lid. Thank you. Thank you so much, Stan, for uh, bringing us all that information. It feels to me uh, that Wales were like the uh, tester uh, country to see if they could get away with it. We've seen that globally. They they kind of test out policies and Wales was the place to say, let's see if this works. But thankfully, there has been uh, like almost mass non-compliance there. So we've got a big thank you to say to Wales, a big thank you to say to the Voice of Wales as well for standing up to this nonsense. And thank you for coming on the show uh, today, Stan. I uh, would love you to come back again and uh, give your input on everything uh, going on in Wales. Uh, but we've now got to get, get on here at TN. Uh, today's news talk to uh, get on with our phone calls. Uh, if anyone wants to call in, we'd love to speak to you. Uh, but we've also got to get on with news stories as well, Rick. What would you like to cover now? 
Well, I want to give a shout out. Uh, it was great to speak with Stan there, but also uh, there's another uh, group in Wales called War, War Group Wales Action Resistance Group. A friend of mine called Wes Morris, who's been on TNT Radio as well. Those guys are very active and very uh, militant against uh, the, the policies that are being brought in in Wales as well. So even if those two guys, the Voice of Wales and the War Group, could do some uh, connection there, that would be great. Maybe they could exchange details. Maybe we'll get those to start afterwards but it's a it's a really really good um it's a really really good bunch of guys but yeah we'll have plenty to talk about uh in the remainder of the hour here as well i mean uh, where, where do we even start smokers twice as likely to quit uh, with cysteine pills available in the uk a study has now found uh, more pills not like to combat cigarette smoking instead of just uh kicking the the, the old poisonous cigarette smoke themselves uh what's going on with this one yeah, well, that to me, I mean, I highlighted this story because it just seems to be the answer, doesn't it? Don't change your lifestyle. Don't actually try and make any health benefits. And uh, just take a pill if you don't want to smoke anymore, rather than uh, actually attempt to, to quit smoking. You know, you can cut down on your smoking and, and, and take a pill. Um, and it, they made it sound really good in the article. They say a plant-based compound. So I thought, oh, I'll have a look at this. Is it natural? Uh, no, it's not natural, uh, but they like to make it sound so. Uh, um, and they, they try to say, oh, there's not many side effects to it. And then I looked up the drug. It said side effects, nausea, headaches, increased appetite, dry mouth, irritability, irritability tachycardia and elevation of blood pressure so uh don't worry about giving up smoking take this pill instead you can have a whole lot of big pharma side effects instead rick yeah and of course uh, this will be available uh the headline on this one natalie reads uh they're available uh, this pill these pills cysteine pills are available in a number of countries including the u.s but recently gained regulatory approval in the UK. And of course, from the 22nd of January, which is what, uh, 19 days away from now, they will be available via prescription from your local GP, who of course we were talking about earlier. Some of them people aren't happy with their wages. They want a 35% wage increase. And no doubt uh, the big pharma, Natalie and GPs are inextricably linked. There's a lot of money to be made if you're a pharma rep or you're a medical yeah. sales rep. What your job is, is to tour around doctor's practices, flogging them your product effectively from whatever big pharma company that you represent. So be under no illusion out there, people. Uh, there's money to be made. GPs are going to be profiting off of the back of these cysteine pills. And it's not for the benefit of your eye who may be trying to quit the fags. It's uh, going to be lining the pockets of the GP practices and, of course, big pharma's deep pockets. Yeah, and uh, we've got governments as well pushing, uh, you know, give up the cigarettes, go take the vape. So they've got loads of nicotine in and they can push they can push these pills on them as well. And I'm sure there'll be uh, some uh, push from Big Pharma to give some, some governments across the world some money as well to push these pills as well as they have done the vaccine. Uh, across across the world uh, uh yeah. but we've also got a quick story to talk about as well uh, about elon musk yeah. and the value of twitter uh this has now apparently gone down uh, mutual fund fidelity uh they're saying that their shares uh, they had to do a, like an audit, basically, and uh, it's gone down 71% their shares. Now, 
To me, X, the new X compared to Twitter, it's an awful experience. I don't really enjoy it. I use it occasionally. I, sometimes with the old Twitter, I'm always be consumed or obsessed with it. It's just, it's not the same. But I'm not sure that Elon Musk cares at the moment, do you, Rick? Because I think he's got a long-term plan for Twitter. So I'm not sure he's that bothered. At, uh, they said he's the richest man in the world at 251 billion. Mm -hmm. Well, well, here's the thing, Natalie. Okay, he is a businessman first and foremost, and you know, one of the people, you know, a lot of people defend him, think he's, you know, he's a freedom fighter. He's a government defense contractor for the United States military, amongst other skullduggery and shenanigans that he's actually partaking in at the minute. So, putting that to the side, he's a businessman. He splurged out forty-four billion on Twitter last year. That's the alleged figure in October of 2022. Fidelity, who are a very, very highly respected, long-established fund manager who are responsible for making people money, have put a rough estimate on Twitter now at 12.5 billion. So even though he's technically worth, on paper anyway, all that money, and he's got all these businesses, he's very high profile, imagine buying something for 40 quid. Let's keep it in our, our economy terms. Let's yeah. say you spent 40 quid on something last year last october and i valued it at a tenner today you would be none too happy so imagine you stick like six or eight zeros at the end of that the guy has got to be smarting however i absolutely do believe this is a short-term drop uh, he has big plans for that platform he's going to try and monetize everybody and everything in that platform and i have no doubt in my mind uh, that he's just sitting there calmly putting his plans into action and they're not good plans per se, despite what very, very many people think. So yes, it's a short-term financial hit on paper, but it's just a paper loss. He hasn't actually sold the company and until he actually sells the company, that valuation doesn't really mean a whole lot. Yeah, that's exactly how I saw it when I read it. You know, like um, a bit of a weird analogy, but like Muhammad Ali and the rope-a-dope, kind of mm -hmm. sitting back and taking the punches for as long as possible, knowing he could come back. That's how I kind of see Elon Musk seeing this as a business move. He was quite happy for the value to drop. Um, it makes him look uh, like the humanitarian he claims to be. Um, and he's quite happy to take the loss because he knows what's planned for the future, which is monetizing everything. And uh People are obsessed with social media. I've, I was surprised by how many people have brought blue ticks to start with. Mm -hmm. And soon, you I'm sure you won't even be able to have an account on X uh, without buying extra money or paying for, for tweets, if you like. So I, I don't see this as a, a long-term thing, Rick. I think he's going to be making more money. He's a very astute businessman. You don't get to be the richest bu businessman in the world with uh, not making very good business decisions, do you? No, and the other thing is too, uh, people that are prepared to take the, the biggest risks are usually the ones that get the biggest rewards. Um, so he, he does have this mentality as well. Look, if I believe in something, I'm going to invest in it. So irrespective of whether you like him or not or what he's doing, his mentality is, you know what, I'll 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 roll the bones here. And if it, if it goes well, great. If I lose everything, that's something that I've factored into the equation as well. And they say there's nothing more dangerous in the world than a man or a woman who feels that they have nothing to lose. So he's prepared to take these risks. He's prepared to take these gambles. And, you know, if it works out for him, he's going to be laughing all the way to the bank. If it doesn't, he has plenty of other uh, government-sponsored contracts to fall back on with, uh, you know, what he's doing with Neuralink, what he's doing with the Tesla cars, what he's doing with, uh, you know, Starlink satellites all around the world and everything else that he's involved in. He's got his fingers in a lot of pies. So even if Twitter goes pop, Natalie, I don't think he's going to find himself on the streets playing the violin like that guy at the start of the, the, start of the show. 
<laughs> no, exactly not. Um, I'm not. I can't say I'm a big fan of Elon Musk myself. I'm not. I don't believe he's a humanitarian that he claims. Uh, but we shall see. Uh, just like sure. we uh, spoke to earlier about the finances. So it's time for us to go. Unfortunately, the time has whizzed mm-hmm. by. I hope you've enjoyed the guests. We will be back at the same time tomorrow. Carry on listening to Rick at Locked and Loaded. I've been Natalie Chill. This has been Open Line on TNT Today's News Talk. <laughs>